ATT 101 Sportscast. Thank you for joining me. I am Sean Anthony. I'm here to guide you on, well, stuff that I'm going to talk about. Two things on the dock. We've got the MLB free agency. Interesting thing to look at as well. As uh, I wanted to do a little comparison to everything going on in the NFL with the whole kneeling situation and everyone losing their mind over uh, a protest. And I feel that it's an important thing to look back almost 50 years ago. Yeah, just about 50 years ago next year. Uh, something that occurred in 1968. I'm actually going to lead off with it uh, as well. In 1968, you had the Olympics in Mexico City. And uh, you had Tommy Smith and John Carlos, two black men, who came in first and third in the, was it, 200-meter dash. Now, when they were up on the podium, they both put their fist in the air and their head down. And it was extremely controversial, mostly because... As you can tell by the year, 1968, it was right around the time of the Civil Rights Movement and right around the time of Martin Luther King Jr.'s death. Well, murder. Death, murder. Murder is a little more accurate. I wanted to read an excerpt from the New York Times article uh, about, you know, the day after when this occurred. And uh, not just the verbiage. Now... The, the verbiage, again, is 1968 verbiage, so please don't get mad at me uh, for using the word Negro because I'm using it in the term of a historical context. First. <laughs> Second, the wording and how they... There, there's half of this, and I'll, I'll make sure to let you know the part that I'm talking about. There's half of this that if I change the wording, and I may do that for funsies, we're going to find out, if I change the wording just a little tiny bit, and for example, if I change United States Olympic Committee to National Football League, you will see that this is basically the exact same thing going on. It's, it's the same complaint. It's the same whining from those in power. It's the same complaint of, oh, how unprofessional. All right, let's let's go through. I, I took four excerpts from this. Now, I didn't choose any of them to prove a point. I chose the ones that had actual information that weren't just reiterating something over and over in actual quotes from uh, the president of the committee for the uh, United States Olympic Committee, which is Douglas F. Roby. I made sure to pick the the parts out that make the most sense into the context and there's nothing I'm leaving out of, of massive importance. Everything in here, you could read the entire article, which I, I recommend you do. If you just uh, Google, do a quick Google search of New York Times 1968, uh, you can put in literally Black Power Fist. It is uh, the one of the first things that comes up, other than those stupid-ass ads that always show up at the top. And you can read this yourself. It's actually the physical newspaper, a picture of it, and then they have it typed out for you to read so you're not trying to read it off of an old newspaper. Okay, 
So let's roll through with it here. And I quote, The United States Olympic Committee suspended Tommy Smith and John Carlos today for having used last Wednesday's victory ceremony for the 200-meter dash at the Olympic Games as the vehicle for a black power demonstration. Now, say that entire thing all over again, but switch out USOC for the NFL and black power demonstration for kneeling, <laughs> protesting. It's, it's basically the same thing. The two Negro sprinters were told by Douglas F. Roby, the president of the committee, that they must leave the Olympic Village. Their credentials also were taken away, which made it mandatory for them to leave Mexico within 48 hours. And this is a quote directly from Douglas Roby himself. The untypical exhibitionism of these athletes also violates the basic standards of good manners and sportsmanship which are so highly valued in the United States, and therefore the two men involved are suspended forthwith from the team and ordered to remove themselves from the Olympic Village. This action is taken in the belief that such immature behavior is an isolated incident. However, if further investigation or subsequent events do not bear out this view, the entire manner will be re-evaluated. A repetition of such incidents by other members of the United States team can only be considered a willful disregard of Olympic principles that would warrant the imposition of the severest of penalties at the disposal of the United States Olympic Committee. That's a direct quote from Douglas Roby, who was the president of the United States Olympic Committee. Now I'm going to finish this last part out, one more paragraph. This demonstration produced a mixed reaction among United States officials and members of the United States squad, black and white. Some hailed it as a gesture of independence and a move in support of a worthy cause. Many others said they were offended and embarrassed. A few were vehemently indig indignant. Sorry, that word is always a little hard for me. So my whole point of reading this part off to you was to look at the wording that Douglas Roby used in 1968 that it violates the basic standards of good manners and sportsmanship now cross that with uh it's offensive to to soldiers and to the united states and it disrespects the flag they're using the same argument i don't care if you lean right you lean left you lean in the middle you don't lean at all the whole point of protest is to be making someone uncomfortable. That's the entire basis of protest. It's not always violent. It's not always silent. Sometimes it's a little of both. Sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's the other. But my whole point is, this protest from Tommy Smith and John Carlos, they knew what, what was going to happen. They knew the consequences they faced. And they accepted it. They, they came in first and third in the Olympics in the 200-meter dash. At the time, 1968, two of the best athletes on the planet. And because of the situation at home, which, look, you can believe whatever you want, but 1968, guess what? Racial tensions were high. And they were pointing out that they themselves were black men, and they were trying to demonstrate unity within themselves. It was their form of protest against what they were dealing with at home. And 
apparently good manners and sportsmanship are so highly valued in the United States, but in their view, the black man was not. The black woman was not. The black child was not. Especially the black athlete for how they were treated. So guess what? That's how protest works. If you're made uncomfortable by it, evaluate yourself. Stop getting so angry at everyone else first. Sit back, evaluate. Why does that offend you? Why does it offend you? Are you a soldier? Nice. Thank you for your service. But I'd like to point out that, the again, I've said this in a previous episode, kneeling is the opposite of disrespecting the flag. <clears throat> that's actually what, in first-hand account here, that's actually what a soldier does when a fellow soldier passes away and they hand off the flag after folding it to the spouse. They kneel and they offer the flag. That's what they do because that's supposed to be a sign of respect. I mean, good Lord, in religion you kneel and it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of, uh, of respect or servitude or giving yourself up to God. I mean, these are factual things. I grew up Catholic. Catholicism is just sit, stand, kneel, sit, stand, kneel. That's what it is. You stand and sing, you sit and listen, you kneel and pray. It's all right there. This is a contrived controversy for nothing more than people to bitch. Protest is patriotism. Just because it's not the kind of protest you like doesn't mean it's anti-American. It just means it's anti-your views. And that's fine. You can think that it's ridiculous and it's stupid and it's a waste of time, but in their point of view, in the point of view of Colin Kaepernick and numerous other athletes that play in the NFL, it's not a waste of their time. To them, it's, it's who they are. It's an identity. I'm kneeling because I feel that we live in a time of crisis. You have every right to protest for whatever you want. I'm pissed off that we allowed Nazis and Confederate wannabes protest, but I'm not going to sit there and tell them they can't. I am going to tell them that they're ignorant morons. That's fine. Protest is meant to be making someone uncomfortable, one way or another. I'm uncomfortable knowing that there's Nazis out protesting to save General Lee, which makes no bloody sense. That makes me uncomfortable. That's their entire basis of their protest. Okay, I accept that. So in this instance, if you're offended by athletes kneeling, if you're offended because Colin Kaepernick was kneeling during the, the, the singing of the national anthem for the 58th billionth time, all while you're sitting at some wing store, I don't know, maybe a place that sells buffalo wings that are wild, maybe when you're sitting there stuffing your face, bitching at the TV because, oh, he ain't, he, ain't, he ain't standing, he's kneeling, you're not standing. I've, I've gone to numerous wing places on Sundays during the NFL, and when over the loudspeakers they're playing the national anthem, I see everyone sitting. Why? Because 
it, you're you're not at the game because you don't think that you have to but because these are professional athletes cuz they work for your entertainment now you're pissed off they're they're getting in front of your game they're not they're demonstrating with the power that they have the power that they have is that you play fantasy football and on sunday you don't do jack shit that's their power and they're going to use it if you don't like it don't watch football I really doubt you're going to hold on to that one very long. Because Sunday, you don't have much to do on Sunday. I I got plenty to do. I rarely go watch the NFL at this point anymore. My team sucks. The only time I ever go is to catch up with a couple of people I know are going to be there. I've gone to four games this year. Four, four total weeks on Sundays I've gone. I haven't given a crap about the NFL personally from a standpoint of going and having to watch it for a couple of years. It's arbitrary at this point. There's five teams that have a chance of winning, and there's no real interesting storylines for me. There's no uh, lower league or certain players to really watch, and they're not going to be there in three to five years anyway. I'd rather watch the NBA or, personally, baseball is my go-to sport. All sports have some form of protest. Baseball... (laughs) Baseball let a black player in. And in his protest, he just went ahead and hit four, five hundred damn home runs is what he did. Jackie Robinson isn't one of the greatest players of all time because they wanted him to be. That ain't how it works. Why is every other sport so willing to accept their past where the NFL won't accept it? The NBA has dealt with actual AIDS. And Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, that the hug seen round the world. The NFL is not some high horse. This isn't this isn't some contrived sport where it's Uber America. All it is is we have short term memories and it's easy to follow something for seventeen weeks once a week. I mean, not even that anymore. Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Jesus, who cares about Thursday games? The whole the, the whole point I'm trying to say is there's 162 baseball games. There's 82 NBA games. There's a boatload of NHL games. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm going to be honest with you. And then you have 17 weeks, grand total like 22 weeks of NFL. It's a lot easier for people to pay attention once a week to your team. Or fantasy-wise, you pay attention on just Sunday. Maybe Monday, depending on who's playing. There's always going to be politics in sports, because politics and sports have always been one and the same, because humans love sports. The gladiator games were sports. Chariot races were sports. If you've never seen the original Ben-Hur, the entire basis around that movie is a sport. Sports are always an epicenter for political dialogue and pushing boundaries and protest. They have been in America since the early days, since pre-World War II. And we need to accept that that is what it is. The NFL has its situation going on now and ownership is not making it any better. 
the only way to solve this issue is for the NFL owners to sit down with the players and to talk things out. Do you know how much gets solved by someone just sitting down and saying, what are your grievances? Tell me what your problem is. You know how sometimes isn't that just refreshing when someone just sits down and listens to what you have to complain about? That's the building blocks of a relationship and a marriage. I know, because I'm married and my wife and I need that for each other. Sometimes, you know what? Sometimes I just want to bitch about electronic arts and their Star Wars Battlefront 2 bullshit. And I need her to let me lay into it. And she does. She doesn't have to respond. She doesn't even really have to (laughs) contribute to the argument. I just want to be able to vent. The same way that I kind of do here. The only difference is you're, you know, not next to me and you don't sleep with me. Or at least not anymore, depending on who you are. (laughs) We all need someone to listen sometimes. And I think right now the NFL owners need to just sit back and and their gold-plated everything and all their money that they count and go, maybe we should just listen. Because if it gets proven that they all basically blacklisted Colin Kaepernick then I don't think Russian collusion is what NFL owners are going to be interested in paying attention to. It's going to be a different form of collusion that they're going to lose hard on. Okay. That's enough of the downer stuff, I guess you could say. And I'd like to move on to MLB free agency, a very interesting topic to myself. Uh, Despite that my reds are dreadful and probably will be well into my 30s, I can't wait till we're world champions when I hit about 40. Just 11 years, guys. Ooh, in 11 years, that's going to be 2028. 20, Ooh, how weird is that? That is just weird. I am getting older by the day, literally. All right. MLB free agency. It's in full swing as we talk, or as you listen to me talk. Okay, broken it down between starting pitchers, relief pitchers, and then just flat-out offense because you just kind of got to break it down. There's a lot of moving parts, and a lot of teams are going to be aiming at four or five players at the same position. You're going to notice that when I'm pointing out which teams are probably going to aim for certain players. And that it's because, obviously, a player can only sign to one team. So... If, for example, the Cubs lose out on Yu Darvish and he stays with the Dodgers, for example, then, of course, they're going to be looking at Masahiro Tanaka, Alex Cobb, and Lance Lynn because they need a starting pitcher. And they would probably rather take one of those three than paying Jake Arrieta the cost that he's going to aim for. And also, let me be honest here, he's probably not as good as he looked two years ago. Uh Definitely got annihilated this year. Tripled his home runs that he gave up. And uh, it's probably on the downswing, but he's going to get paid by somebody. Okay, starting off with you, Darvish. Chicago Cubs, LA Dodgers. I have a little bit of a dark horse in there. The Angels, I think, are going to be looking to add a starting pitcher personally. The Minnesota Twins are a surprising contender to throw in there. They feel that they have a playoff offense 
and I kind of agree with them, but what they really need is that lockdown number one starting pitcher, despite the issues you Darvish had in the World Series. And I was talking about them all on Twitter every single time. Uh, against everyone else minus Houston, he looked phenomenal. Against Houston, they lit him up. I can't explain that, but I guarantee you that Minnesota would definitely take a full year of you Darvish and then blowing it in the playoffs and kind of roll with it there. Uh, if you get to the World Series and you Darvish kind of blows up, whatever, you'll live. Hey, you made it to a World Series. So Minnesota's kind of up there. I wouldn't be surprised, but also that'd be throwing a lot of coin at a starting pitcher for Minnesota. St. Louis also a little bit in the mix there. I have them much, much lower. Uh, the Yankees as well. I just, I don't know with with the current Steinbrunner kids that they would be interested. I, I know that if Papa Steinbrunner was still alive, you Darvish would be wearing pinstripes. They would, oh, it, did the Cubs and the Dodgers offer you $25 million? Here's 30 That's exactly what he would do. That's, that's the kind of way that George ran things. Uh, love him or hate him, I am not a Yankees fan by any means, but I'm a Reds fan, so I don't really hate the Yankees. I just kind of like slightly dislike them. But I always enjoyed in, enjoyed George Steinbrenner because he loved Columbus. He gave us the Clippers, uh, and then the Clippers went from being a New York Yankees minor league team to the Indians now. Uh, I did get to watch Daryl Strawberry back back in the day. Uh, this is pre-cocaine. I believe, and uh, I got to watch him play. I got to watch Jeter play. Uh, see, Jorge Posada played, and it was awesome. Really enjoyed it a lot. So, you know, thanks, George. I appreciate it, but you're probably not going to get you Darvish because your kid is way more money conscious than you are. Lance Lynn, and actually, let me switch it up a little bit. I'm not going to go to Lance Lynn yet. So, the, he, you Darvish is obviously the number one top tier. I'll do it by tiers. I think that's a little bit better way to do this. Your second tier is probably going to be the Jake Arietta Masahiro Tanaka level. Now, like I said, Arietta, loads of issues for 2016, or I'm sorry, 2017, uh, did not reproduce his 2016 numbers. Then again, if you expected that, I, I mean, he'd never done much of anything in Baltimore. Now, Anytime a player gets moved somewhere else, coaching can be a big difference. A ballpark can be a big difference. Uh, just simply getting a new place. I mean, think about it. Moving out of your parents' house and moving into your own place, you know, don't you just feel better? Don't you just kind of feel more, ah, I can breathe, that kind of deal? The, the, this could be a possibly good thing for Jake Arrieta to move on from the Cubs with all of the pressure that Chicago constantly puts on everybody. And, I mean, he won a World Series there as one of their starting rotation pitchers. The good chance of him going to a smaller team is there. And I think it's going to be Milwaukee who is able to go grab him. He seems like a good, he seems like a Milwaukee pitcher, a pretty above average guy who maybe has like a, he's probably like a 3.3, 3.4 ERA guy above average, pretty good. You know, a 1.28 whip, that kind of deal, like a slightly high whip, but one where he can limit run damage. He gives up, 
a, a pretty hefty, not really hefty, okay, slightly more homers than you'd like. But overall, he's he's definitely like a low-end number one pitcher. Probably better as a high-end number two. I think this is a thing that Milwaukee would put him on a three-year deal to try to be able to deal him later. Like, you know, two years from now, the Dodgers come a-knocking and they'd like to get Arietta, so you can get a couple of prospects for him or maybe send him back to the Cubs. You never know. Uh, also on that list, you, the Cubs could still grab him if you Darvish gets picked up somewhere else. Yankees are there, so are the Angels. And again, Minnesota uh, is also in the hunt there for a, a legit one or you know a high-end number two to work with Barrios. Masahiro Tanaka is kind of the the interesting one here because other than his home run issues, he was phenomenal. He had an insanely high strikeout rate. I believe his highest strikeout rate that he's had in the majors. And he was really able to limit most base running. His biggest problem was he was giving up a metric shit ton of home runs. That's what was really killing his ERA. Because you're talking about a guy that had a ridiculously high ERA, but his whip wasn't... The way his ERA looked, he should have had like a 1.4 whip, and he didn't. And it just was really confusing. But when you look at how many home runs he's giving up, it makes absolute sense. Could he stay with the Yankees? Sure, he definitely could. Uh, You've also got Arizona out there that maybe could use another pitcher to sandwich between uh, Archie Bradley and Zach Grinke. The Cubs also, again, are going to be right there, depending on how far they fall in the stakes of everybody else. Personally, I think Darvish goes to the Cubs. And then the Dodgers also are going to be around that area. The little wild card, though, Philadelphia Phillies could go give him a three-year deal. I think he he's coming up on that wrong side of 30. But in baseball, it's not always a bad thing. Uh, if Tanaka can prove himself to be a high-caliber pitcher again through the full 2018 season, he could end up being a great trade piece for the Phillies to maybe acquire a couple more prospects to work with or even some uh, younger upstart players at different positions or a relief pitcher of some sort, fully possible. Now moving on to the more lower tier, this is your third tier, Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb. Lynn I can see going to Baltimore. He seems like a Baltimore pitcher, a very average pitcher that will win you a couple of games and he'll occasionally throw that diamond of a game. Uh, Minnesota, again, still there. The Cubs, I I don't think they're going to have to drop to get Lance Lynn, but it's always a possibility. And the Phillies also are a team that may go grab him if they can't get Tanaka, just to get a a veteran sense in there. And Lance Lynn is going to end up being a lot cheaper uh, than I think people are believing. He was aiming for $100 He's going to get about half of that. I would say half of that over three or four years is about the maximum I'd give him. I've seen $65 million over four years. That's possible, but I just don't... I just couldn't see anyone giving him more than like 13 or $15 million a year. It's just... It's a little rough to me. Alex Cobb could go back to Tampa Bay. I'm doubting it. I do think that they're going to put their qualifying offer on him, though, which I believe is $17.4 million. Uh, he's good enough of a talent for that 
but Minnesota's going to look at him. I would rather have Cobb over Lynn personally. Minnesota, the Cubs may look at him to maybe bolster uh, their starting pitching and move someone out. And then also uh, Baltimore as well, who is in need of a starting pitcher. And Cobb would go in, honestly, as the de facto number two overall based on talent alone. Uh, And the final tier of interest, and I I didn't grab all. There's like 200 free agents of interest. I grabbed the major ones, names that you're going to know, names that in fantasy you're going to see and think about. And that's what I wanted to talk about. The last tier, I just have one person on it, Michael Pineda. This, this is an interesting one because the first, like, what, two or three months, he looked like he was going to command a $100 million contract. And then reality bitch-slapped him in the face. He could go back to the Yankees. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think he's going to move on. Philadelphia, again, is another place he may end up for on a... On a cheaper deal, though, I think that's the the best route for him to do is a two year two year deal for some like ten to fifteen million somewhere around that range. Uh, the Yankees would probably take him back for that, or he can get a two year deal, maybe take a little bit lower on the money, ten to twelve million, and get that player option on the second year, so then he can control his own destiny say he pitches for the Phillies and he pitches lights out all through 2018 even if he gets traded he's still got that player option so that he could opt out and you know make bank uh Philly I think is a good shot for him to grab him he seems like he's going to be that cheaper option but that also sneaks in one other team who loves cheap options the Oakland A's And Michael Pineda is such an Oakland A's signing. I don't know any other team (laughs) that loves scooping up average-ish to slightly above average players for really good contracts. Give them a little something like that player option. And then the minute they start getting good, ship them off as soon as possible. Or just let them walk completely. Tampa Bay is also in there, but I don't think nearly as much. Uh, Their focus is going to be on Cobb for a little while. Uh, And Tampa Bay, I think, is on the kind of skirts with uh, most of their team. They're they're really relying on a lot of their young players and their farm system to, to come up and do something for them. Relief pitchers and closers mixed together on this one. Uh, I did used to play in a holds and saves league. I actually think I'm trying to talk my current league into mixing holds and saves it just if you've never played in a holds and saves league it's phenomenal because it takes away the insane advantage of getting just two closers that destroy like it it saves you so much annoyance and having to waste draft picks early on on closers and then disappointment sets in so if you went out and got wade davis and then i don't know insert second person Addison Reed maybe uh you were probably a little disappointed because Wade Davis either was having a rough go of it or was not getting the opportunities at all speaking of Wade Davis guess who's number one on the most likely to sign Wade Davis list that would be the Houston Astros if they want to return to the World Series and have a chance they need to get someone who can actually close a game 
and uh, I don't think Ken Giles is going to be seeing the ninth ever again purposely in a Houston uniform. Although he is a good, he's a good low issue pitcher. When you're when you're ahead by five runs, I would put him in for two innings, no question. If I'm behind by a run and I need to keep these guys from scoring that are on second and third, I'm not putting Ken Giles in. Now, Davis could go back to the Cubs. I don't personally see that happening. Uh, The Dodgers are also in there just because, as you can tell from the Dodgers, the way they handled things, they love situations. And Wade Davis gives you an advantage on many situations. However, the Dodgers, I don't know, are going to want to fork out that much money when they have other things they need to fix. Colorado could make a run for him. Uh, They do have the offense to win it, and they did prove if you're a good enough reliever, Greg Holland, you can actually be phenomenal at cores. Minnesota's also up there looking to bolster their their bullpen. Washington, obviously, uh, after the just disaster of a closer situation they had to work with. I expect them to, of of the three main closers, actually, of the, of the four main kind of closer level pitchers here, Washington's going to grab one of them. They have to. Uh, Texas is also on that for Wade Davis. I wouldn't be surprised, kind of surprised, but their their closer situation is also a train wreck. Speaking of Greg Holland a few moments ago, the team's looking at him. Colorado is going to look at him, but Wade Davis is definitely the guy who's number one on their priority list. The Cubs, depending on their situation, but they also have a pretty decent late bullpen. They need to worry more about that sixth, seventh inning uh, without Wade Davis. That doesn't give them their three-peat that they were working with. Uh, from the 7th, 8th, ninth, So they need to get one or two players to bolster that. But they could grab one of these other guys I'm going to talk about. St. Louis is also in the running for Greg Holland. Uh, Sung oh, Huang Oh, I do not think will be the closer there. <laughs> He's also in his late, late 30s. And he has shown severe depreciation. Houston, again, could be on the on the call, depending on what Wade Davis does. Minnesota as well, and Washington. Juan Nicasio, a much lesser-known name, but one that did serve as a closer for St. Louis for a while. He could return there. They did have some contract talks, I do believe. Minnesota also looking, Colorado and Houston again. Washington, a little less. I don't think Nicasio is a good fit for them personally. Brian Shaw, however, I think would be a fit for Washington. Uh, he's definitely played at a championship level. He's a good pitcher. Uh, he would probably go in as the best chance for a closer of all of their current relievers. Uh, and He's also the cheapest option to go with right now. But they're going to have to compete with Boston, who's going to want depth in their relief position, St. Louis as well, who could go for Shaw if Nicasio doesn't work out. And I don't really see them wanting to pay Davis or Holland, in all honesty. Colorado and Houston also will be looking. Addison Reed, I could see him going to the Dodgers. He is a great 7th or 8th inning guy to use. Phenomenal skills and ability. He is on the wrong side of 30, but... 
he's kept it up for several years of being a really high-end relief pitcher, was a great closer for the Mets uh, for a majority of the year. Houston, again, could look. Cubs would definitely add him for a depth purpose. Minnesota, he's a short-term fix for an important position at closer. Texas, same situation. Colorado, essentially same situation. Mike Miner, a lesser-known name, a guy who used to be a starting pitcher and is going the Wade Davis route. The Dodgers will probably look at him. He is really good in that sixth and seventh inning area, which is really becoming one of the more important areas, that middle relief. Colorado as well, Chicago, Minnesota. And I actually would throw in uh, Houston and Washington purely for the depth. I don't see Miner as a pure closer. I see him as a useful reliever for hold purposes, a seventh or eighth inning around guy. Uh, Also, he's someone that you would see a starting pitcher starting to get into some trouble in the fourth or the fifth. Mike Miner can go two or three innings, and I could see him becoming that kind of short-term <laughs> picking up the slack for the starting pitcher. I guess you could say he's a long-term reliever in that regard. Middle relief is where his strength is. Uh, I don't see him closing unless it's pure desperation or situational matchups. Now, offensively speaking, this is this is an interesting set. Again, I'm not doing all free agents. I'm just doing the names that you need to know and pay attention to. First and foremost on there, J.D. Martinez. Why? Because this dude wants $200 million. Is he going to get it? I I don't know how. He's, I believe, 31? 30 or 31? He's not had many great years. He's He, he did have some good home run, a good home run year last year with uh, Detroit and then Arizona after the trade. But he's not a fast base runner. He's a average, possibly below average defender. Uh, is he? Does he make up enough for it with his power hitting? Personally, I would rather have Adam Duvall on my Reds. I think Adam Duvall is better than J.D. Martinez on an overall player account. Uh, I would rather have Billy Hamilton. Not because he can hit, but because he's the best damn defender in the entire center field of all the MLB. Anyone that can that can run as fast as he can immediately becomes a defensive plus. Which, by the way, later on next year, probably going to talk trade because it's going to be very, very interesting. With the Reds, specifically. So Martinez, where could he go? St. Louis is a possible destination, and I have them there because of all of the reports of Giancarlo Stanton openly stating he does not want to go to the Cardinals. Now, that could very easily be uh, disproven or shown that it's BS. I don't know. But what I do know is right now the Cardinals don't have a chance to get Stanton. Despite that they do actually have uh, the minor leaguers to get them, specifically two minor league pitchers, Weaver and I was at Flaherty, I think is uh, the other guy's name. Uh, two other teams that would go for Martinez. I could see the Angels going for him. Uh, they could use the bat to kind of protect Trout. And then Boston. Why? Because Boston always goes after these sort of players. 
They don't care that they have a log jam in outfield. They don't care that it's going to force them to platoon Jackie Bradley Jr. even more, possibly even get rid of him. Uh, it's it's a Boston move to over overdo what you have already. When in all reality, what they need to do is figure out how to get rid of David Price because in the playoffs, he sucks. Eric Hosmer is going to probably remain a Royal. I don't know where else he would go. He's been the face of Kansas City for years. That dude is their their franchise's face. It's I can't see him going anywhere else and getting paid what the Royals will pay him. He should get about a hundred million dollars, ninety to a hundred million, because he's he helped bring them a World Series and he's been the face of that franchise, despite being a slightly, very slightly above average player at best. Hosmer is just he seems like that dude that's gonna be a royal for life. And I, kudos to him if he stays there and kudos to to Kansas City for keeping him there because sometimes you just got to keep that player uh for example obviously the Minnesota Twins holding on to Joe Maurer as long as they have uh he's been a face of that franchise even when he's been dreadful but for there was that that 3 or 4 year period where he was the best one of the best offensive players in all of baseball and Man, I really loved watching him play before his knees decided to give up. Speaking of Royals, another one, Mike Moustakis. I can see him on the move. I don't think Kansas City is going to want to pay him unless his market plummets. And I mean, you're talking he, you're talking $10 million a year plummets. I think he'll be able to land more than that. The Angels need a third baseman. Atlanta needs a third baseman. St. Louis needs an everyday third baseman. Uh, I guarantee you Jed Gorko is not the one I want to rely on. And another possibility, a little bit of a dark horse, Cleveland could look to get a third baseman there uh, just for everyday purposes. Uh, And Moustakis is an above-average third baseman. He's not an amazing power hitter, but he's decent. He's a good power He's a good hitter in general. Uh, Nothing flashy, nothing great, but he would give them depth in their infield, which is something they could use a little bit of. Uh, especially with the versatility that it would give them to move people more around. Third base is a little bit harder to fill than first. Carlos, or not Carlos Santana, I just think of him off the, right off the top of my head because talking about the Indians, but he's up next in a moment. First, Lorenzo Kane. Definitely gone. No way Kansas City resigns him. He could now if he goes here. His fantasy value will basically die. There's a good chance he signs at the San Francisco Giants. And in that case, goodbye home runs, hello, hoping that the average is good, and you will have to pray that the offense around him isn't garbage. Now, he would have Buster Posey, but uh, what else? I really don't know. I would I would like to know what else he has to protect him offensively. He could also go to Seattle, who needs an outfielder, with Mitch Haniger not really doing exactly what they need him to do. He's more of a, a guy that can platoon in there whenever someone needs a day off. Toronto, who needs an outfielder as well, trying to uh, 
get another top-end outfielder for that team to build a little bit more around, give Josh Donaldson some protection. And uh, lastly, I would say Texas is up there. Delino DeShields, man, he is... If you took Billy Hamilton and you knocked off 40 points from his batting average, you've got Delino DeShields. And now you know why he's not starting every day. And the other problem is Nomar Mazzara, he gets hot streaks, but when he's cold, man, oh, he is frozen. He is ice cold. And Kane is a little bit, or not really a little bit, a lot of bit better at consistency than someone like Nomar Mazzara, who I really do enjoy, but they need someone like Lorenzo Kane to bat in that three, two, three, or four hole to make that Texas offense a little bit better. Now, Carlos Santana. Cleveland most likely will re-sign him. I don't see why they wouldn't, but there's a possibility he goes to Kansas City. Boston is another option because they do need a first baseman rather bad. Uh, they'll also be in on Hosmer. I wouldn't be surprised there. I just want to point that out, Boston. And it would take it would take a lot of money to get him to probably leave Kansas City and go to Boston. Uh, also with Carlos Santana, the Angels might be looking at him. It'd be a good DH slash first base look where they could they could keep Pujols off first base a little bit more and focusing solely on DH, which would probably help him out and the Angels out a little bit more. Seattle's a place that could also look at him, and uh, Houston for some stability at first base. Logan Morrison is going to be that right below Hosmer and Santana situation. So if you need someone at first base, but you kind of struck out on the other two, or financially you committed a bunch of money to a pitcher or a closer, Lomo might be the one to go to. Boston is definitely going to look at him. I think they're kind of the favorites to go with him. He seems like a Boston player. Just He just has that feel about him. The Yankees may look at him too. Mets are, are definitely in the talk. And also Kansas City. Uh, again, that's all depending on the Eric Cosmer situation. Yonder Alonso, I really only see two options. Boston going at him after they strike out on literally every other first baseman in existence. And the Angels, for the exact same reason I said with Santana, it allows Pujols to play more DH and a little less defense to worry about uh, to help out his average and help out their offense. Michael Brantley is an interesting one. I can't see Cleveland re-signing him purposely. <laughs> what I mean is it would like he would have to be dirt broke amount of money. Like two years, ten or fifteen million, and that's it. Brantley's been injured for the better part of my existence at this point. I think he's been on IR for a decade. Uh, Kansas City could look at him as a cheap replacement for Lorenzo Kane. Detroit needs an outfielder after moving both of their outfielders last year. And uh, the White Sox may look at him. It's all going to be based on how Brantley views his value. If he's going to go for the more expensive route, I would probably say Detroit and Seattle are the two best to get him. Uh, the White Sox will be looking at more of a cheap play. Kansas City would be looking at an almost dirt cheap play uh, to go ahead and grab Brantley. Zach Cozart, I'm going to miss you so much, buddy. And <laughs> uh, that's about all I can say because he's I don't see him going back to the Reds. 
I wouldn't be surprised though if the Reds did the qualifying offer of 17.4 million. I think even if he accepts that and no one signs him and you don't get a, a draft pick compensated, he's still worth that, uh, especially if you can move him and pay, you know, 80% of that bill. Here, you give us something, here he is, we'll pay a majority of it. Uh, Cozart's still one of the best defensive shortstops out there. He is an average bat, and you can't ask for much more. He's he's going to hit 250. He's going to hit right around 250, 260. He's going to drive in 50-some runs. He's going to have 40 or 50 RBIs. Uh, he's going to end up being 40 or 50 runs himself. A handful of homers. He'll he'll have a month where he just goes bananas, and then he'll cool off, and it'll be just basically singles. He's a reliable bat. He's not anything more than that. He's not going to wow you. He's not going to Trevor Story you. He is going to have a month where he hits eight home runs. That's a lot for him. Uh, San Diego seems like a, a good destination, a place that needs an everyday shortstop. And San Diego would likely would give him the three-year deal that he would seek. Miami's possibly up there, depending on some maneuvers they make, if they don't want to hold on to Adney Hecchiavaria as their starting shortstop, which Cozart is an upgrade over. St. Louis, again, Jed Gorko. Do you really want him to be your starting shortstop? Uh, Alice Manny Diaz, sure, he was good for a hot minute, and then everyone... Realized how to make him strike out, and, well, there you go. Washington also is up there. They really do need an everyday shortstop to free up what they want to do with Trey Turner. That's really where, do they want Trey Turner to play more outfield, or do they want to stick him with shortstop? That's where that kind of goes into, uh, do you want to play him at second base and then play Cozart at short? It's... Kozar can play second and short equally. Uh, he's better at shortstop than second, though. So it, it throws a little bit of a uh, monkey wrench in to see exactly possibly where he goes there. Uh, Kansas City, also, I keep throwing them in because they're going to aim at some guys that are older veterans and then a mixture of cheaper options. Jay Bruce is, and I, I keep, I've got two more Reds <laughs> to roll through, or former Reds, I should say. Jay Bruce, after his time uh, with the Mets, gets moved over to the Indians. Now he's a free agent. And uh, he's got a couple of options, one of which I really hope for fantasy's sake. Knock on my desk. He doesn't go to. Uh, Let's start with that one, actually. San Francisco is going to look at him. The problem there is Jay Bruce, the way Jay Bruce hits, uh, San Francisco's entire stadium would just be cancer to him. He relies on his power hitting, and he's got good power, but he doesn't have San Francisco Safeco power. And I would fear that you would see his numbers go from where they are now to he would have maybe 20 home runs. He'd bat like 242, 20 home runs maybe. Wouldn't drive in 100 RBIs. I, that's my big worry if he was to go there. But you've also got Baltimore needs uh, an outfielder. Toronto could, again, still be looking for one. Bruce is going to be a little bit more expensive than some of the other options. Kansas City will still need an outfielder. Colorado, depending on what they want to do with Ian Desmond, oof, uh, I don't see Carlos Gonzalez uh, 
starting over someone like Jay Bruce. Uh, and then also St. Louis looking at that uh, situation with Grychuk and how their outfield can't seem to consistently be good enough to even stay on the MLB roster. And uh, they need someone to, to power hit behind Dexter Fowler, and that would give some more protection to someone like Matt Carpenter, who they need to protect in that offensive lineup. Todd Frazier is an interesting, interesting dynamic player. I, he is so weird. He bats 220, but he'll hit a billion home runs, and you just don't know how. It's Adam Dunn all over again. Jesus. Uh, Kansas City's up there. Uh, who would be looking at him? St. Louis yet again. The Mets are a possibility as well as the Yankees. I do think the Angels look like one of those teams that would might go out and grab him. Frazier is an interesting situation, to say the least. There's a good possibility the Yankees stick with him, but it, between him and Aaron Judge, you need a lot of contact hitters in between those guys. You need to make sure, obviously, Judge is batting third or fourth in that lineup. But then you've got to slot Frazier like down all the way at the bottom, almost. Because you can't have a pair of power hitters, one of which hits 220, and the other of which just had a rough end of the season and a terrible playoff run. They're both going to have issues because... That contact is not their forte. Smashing a ball out of the entire stadium is their forte. Jonathan Lucroy used to be... I mean, you're talking about a guy who was vying for best catcher in fantasy, and man, did he fall off ever since uh, leaving Milwaukee at this point. Where does he go now? After just stinking it up with Texas? Uh, <laughs> you could have gone to the World Series, brother. You could have gone to the World Series with uh, the Indians, but you avoided that trade. So LaCroix's options now are Arizona. Or they definitely need a catcher. No joke on that one. The White Sox could use consistent guy behind the, the plate and Colorado Rockies. Those are the three main ones you're going to see vying for a lot uh, of the free agent high-end catchers. Same with going into Wellington Castillo, but... Uh, the the major difference there, and I think the White Sox will still look into him, but Castillo seems like that exact mold for Oakland, the buy low and then hope for really high return, uh, and they need someone to split off with Stephen Voigt as well. My last little throw-in I had because I think it's going to be an interesting go for him, Brandon Phillips, who spent time uh, with Atlanta, He's got a couple of options. You've got San Fran, you've got Kansas City, you've got San Diego, the White Sox, and Philly. Why do I say Philly? Because I fully believe they plan on trading Cesar, uh, was it Cesar Hernandez? I just blanked on his name for a moment there. Sorry about that. I fully believe that they're going to go ahead and move one, if not two, of their young-ish players and replace them with a veteran presence, short-term-wise, obviously, for this but to try to get a, a maximum return on players that they may not see as part of their future, their five years from now, along with Reese Hoskins. Phillips is going to be somewhere that needs a Chase Utley-style utility man that, that is willing to play limited time. And that's going to be hard for Phillips to accept. 
it was part of the problem with uh, the Reds trying to trade him. Uh, he didn't want to get traded to the Nationals because they wouldn't give him a longer extension. Well, Phillips isn't going to get a big contract. He's going to get probably a two-year contract, a very low money, uh, and he's going to have to deal with it. I guess there's really no other way to put it. Worked for the Nationals, though. They got Daniel Murphy, who's just been going blitzkrieg bananas ever since leaving the Mets. Okay, thank you for joining me. I know that was a long-winded one going through a lot of big names in the free agency market, but I will get back to discussing some NFL topics. We'll get uh, look at the week ahead. Hoping to do that by Thursday night. Uh, obviously, I'd be missing the Thursday night game information to give you, but Thursday night football at this point, oh, who cares? Okay, you have a good night if you're listening to this at night, or have a great day at work if this is the morning. Or, you know, if you have the day off, who has a day off on Wednesday? I mean, I used to at one point, but, you know, adult life and whatnot. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the BT101 Sportscast.